welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and up top, I want to share two courses that I signed up for over the past week that have benefited my artistic training very much. The first is schoolism.com. So for those of you who do not know, Schoolism was created by artist extraordinaire Bobby Chu. He has a ton of awesome YouTube videos. He does classes and lectures and talks. Bobby is an amazing guy. And he started an online school called Schoolism. You can find it at schoolism.com. And in Schoolism, there are a wide variety of courses available that you can take in order to beef up your artistic skills. And they offer two different ways to take it. You can either sign up for the video courses and you'll get recorded feedback from the professors. So for example, you would watch the lesson and then you would submit your homework and then the professor will record their response to your homework so that you can watch it so that you can find out, okay, this is what I need to do specifically to improve my work. And those courses will run you $999, which is pretty inexpensive for art school. It's not too bad at all. Or for $15 a month, you can sign up to take one of the courses and you don't get individual feedback from the professors. However, you can watch the feedback that they gave to other students. So that's really useful. So you can see what other people did and you can basically weigh that against what you're currently doing to see, okay, am I making the same mistakes that this person was making? Here was the suggestion that the professor gave to them. I will just take that same suggestion and apply it to my own work. So I signed up for Alex Wu's gesture drawing class and it's going really well. I have learned a lot. I'm actually, I'm on lesson two right now and it's already dramatically improved how I draw. It's just really good information. And I realized before I signed up for it that I've never actually taken a formal gesture drawing class. I've taken character design classes, clothed figured classes, you know, drawing the human figure classes, head drawing classes, I've never taken, though, just a gesture drawing class. I know, it's crazy. How could this have happened? I don't even know. Which is the reason why I signed up for this course, because I realized I really need to get better at this. And it's great. So I highly recommend that. And they offer a lot of other courses, too, that I'll be taking in the next couple of months. So details on that as I go through them. But all of y'all should check it out. And then the second school that I signed up for that I am super stoked about is the Oatly Academy. And the Oatly Academy was started by Chris Oatly, who used to be a visual development artist at Disney. And then he started an online school. And it's great. I cannot sing the praises of this school enough. I've been in it for a week and the week has been really awesome. There's two different tracks you can take. You can either do the Magic Box, which is digital painting tutorials, or you can do the Storyteller Summit, which is learning how to craft a better story, or you can do both if you really you know, wanna dive in deep there. Right now, I'm doing the Storyteller Summit, and it is really cool. They have all of these different lectures on how to craft a story, how to create compelling characters, how to work on theme and plot. 
But what I really like about the Oatly Academy, which I feel no other art school is doing, at least not very well, is that they talk a lot about how to promote your work and how to be business savvy and how to navigate through the internet and just how to become a professional artist with a professional artist mindset and just how to succeed in the business. And as all of you are aware from listening to my show and other animation shows out there, that's something that sadly we're not really getting in school. You know, some of us might have been fortunate to take a class about that in school, maybe, but you know, this information, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard information to get for artists sometimes, and they really dive into that. So I can't recommend it enough. And it was really cool. I actually had an orientation meeting with Ania Marcos, who's in charge of meeting all the new students and walking them through. She's super nice. So you guys, I really recommend both schools. They are ridiculously inexpensive. Take it from me. I spent a lot of money on art school and these classes are great. So I really recommend it. You know, Schoolism right now, they're doing a promotion until the end of September where you can sign up for a course and it's only $15 a month. And then the Storyteller Summit is only $19 a month. I mean, that's really, really cheap. You know, this is a really good deal. I recommend them both. And they're not paying me to say this, you guys. This isn't, you know, I'm not getting some kind of kickback from this. I signed up for it. I can vouch for it. It's really cool. I think you guys would benefit from it. So I'll put links in the show notes. Check them out. Try them out for a month. See how you like them. I bet your art will improve. And if it does, let me know and let them know because I know that they would appreciate that a lot. So there you go. There's my pitch for both of those schools. And now I am happy to present to you the conclusion of my interview with Alex Kwan, and it is fantastic. Alex was such a great guest. I really enjoyed talking with her. We discussed her trip to Japan. We talked about the importance of believing in yourself, and she also showed the details of her Titmouse five second day short, Chasing Sunlight, which is beautiful, and you guys will absolutely love it. I'm including the YouTube video of the short on the website and on the Tumblr page so that all of you can check it out and watch it. It is truly a wonderful film and I know that all of you are going to really enjoy it. And I know that all of you are going to love the conclusion of today's interview. So without further ado, I present episode 28, interview with Alex Kwan, 2D animator and storyboard artist for Titmouse, part two. Yeah, that's cool. I want to ask you, too, because you talked about important time management, which is something that a lot of us lack, like severely lack. So how do you do that? How are you able to balance your freelance with also balancing your work, but also sleeping and eating right and exercising and time for friends? How do you manage Hmm. all of that together? I have to say that during that time frame when I was doing a lot of that stuff, I didn't really go out much. And it's, it works well for me because kind of a home buddy in the first place. But let's see, how do I do time management for my regular job? I have Google Excel document thing 
that I, I know how much quota I have to hit. And then I look at all the scenes for animation, and for instance. I know how much I have to hit and then I separate it amongst those days and like how many frames I need to hit and stuff. And with doing freelance, it's the same thing. I just kind of set goals. And at first you don't hit them because you realize that maybe that goal is a little too large, but then you start realizing that means you have to take concessions for something like this drawing doesn't need to be perfect here. It doesn't need to be exceptional every frame of every drawing. You realize that keys are the most important drawings yeah, and um, trying to maintain that and then playing through. And if you don't see anything, then obviously there, you don't have to scrub. It's a lot of little concessions. And then that's how you sort of get there. And then with in terms of work-life balance, I will say this outright, there is no work-life balance in terms of doing freelance and having an actual job. That is the time when you realize, I have no friends lately. I don't know <laughs> what my family is up to. And it seems to be very difficult. But that's also because I'm commuting in and out of the city. But that's, <laughs> that's another thing where I learned how to sleep on the train. <laughs> I learned how to make a good... I, I love cooking, so this was easier for me to do, but learned how to do a lot of batch cooking in a short amount of time. And just little little things to sort of maintain and getting your life settled. With the not having any friends thing, though, it's kind of an interesting thing. I know that when I am knee-deep in, or like up to my neck in freelance, then I know that I'm not going to be seeing my friends for like the next couple of months. I literally tell them, I'm not going to see you for the next couple of months, but please do not hate me. I'm just going to be focusing on this. And usually because most of my friends are in the industry, they understand that. They're just like, please don't die. And it's like, I'm not going to die. It's okay. <laughs> it's like, might, we love you and miss you. We'll see you in three months. Please remain alive. Yeah. I, I might die a little, but it's okay. <laughs> I will be resurrected. Just one arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like my favorite answer to give to... Some of my friends were asking me, like, how do you do it? And I just say, like, it's a lot of taking breaks, of just laying on the floor and saying, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> <laughs> so it's the fetal position. Okay. <laughs> That's how you get through the day. I, is, I got it you. It is hard. I will, I will admit that it's hard. And in that respect, be sure to know that if you're going to do it for like a couple of months or if you do it for half a year, or if you do it for even longer than that, the longer you go, you start to realize that you get a little crankier with each month. And when I notice that happening, that's when I'm just like, I'm, I'm not going to do the next thing. And I've actually been very fortunate to say that I have been able to say no to work because I'm in a good position now where it's just I am getting offers, but I don't have to take every single offer because otherwise I'll burn out. And burnout is the worst thing because when you burn out, it's, I'm not working efficiently. I am not being able to give the best of me to whoever I'm working for. So knowing that I can't do that hurts me, hurts me to mm -hmm. say, oh, the reason why I am doing poorly is because I took on too much. That's something I can control. So it's just being able to say no is a, is a wonderful thing. <laughs> But no when, no when to say no. It, it takes experience. That's really good because a lot of people have a hard time with it. They feel like, oh, I, it makes me feel bad or I'm hurting people's feelings. I feel like you, you got to get 
past that. You know, yeah. they will understand if you can't do it, they'll just ask someone else. And that's fine. If you're like you said, if you're lying on the floor asking yourself why and being really, <laughs> really cranky and realizing, OK, we need to take a break, take a break. It's not doing anyone any favors. There have been times <laughs> I did this so recent as like last year where I I was juggling a couple things. I was doing my job at Titmouse and I was doing an extra bit for Adult Swim, which was also given to me by Titmouse. And of course, I could not say no to that. But then I forgot that I signed up for Steve Vaughn's storyboarding class. Oh, no. And it was just like, oh, God, I am going to be juggling class, this bumper, and then doing actual work. And also at work, my supervisor was going on vacation. So she asked me and another guy to fake lead for her when she was gone and it was just like oh this is a lot happening right now but it was only for two weeks still it was overlapping with all those things so I was just like this is going to be a lot to ask of me and my significant other to just kind of bear with me I might be I might be cranky (laughs) but I realized after that then I took a trip to Japan and I was just like I'm gonna take reservations and how often I say yes to freelance I won't say it all the time. And then I know that there is that pressure to inherently say yes to everything because you want to be like, yeah, sure. I'll do it, buddy. Like, let's, let's yeah, do it's like, and I want to be that person where they always ask me and I will always be employed forever. Yeah. And then it, you learn the cost of being an artist. And because I think something that goes in tandem with saying yes to freelance is also underselling yourself. So it's just, don't do that either <laughs> because your crankiness is not worth the work that you're doing right now. Just you have to know how much you're worth and uh, you also have to know how much your free time is worth. It is the most expensive thing that you have is the ability to just relax. It is a luxury, but it is also the most expensive thing that you have. That's good. I see this a lot on the internet, especially with commissions. Like I notice on Instagram yes! and DeviantArt, a lot of people do commissions. I think commissions are wonderful. They're great things, but I see that people are going, I'll do a commission for $15 or $20. And I think that is way too low. Yeah. That is way too low for your time and for the amount of output you're doing and for your level of work. You should be asking for much, much more than that. Yeah. And I think that people just want to get out there so badly that they undercut Mm. how much they're going to make and then they can't support themselves. Yeah. And then sometimes it's just with doing those commissions. Like, as you were saying, they're like amazing pieces of art, but then sometimes you get stuck. And I know because I did commissions for a long time, I just remember being stuck in doing this sort of uniform thing and thus not feeling like I was really learning or pushing myself to do other things. Because in doing commissions for people, you are essentially signing yourself up for one person as your client who isn't necessarily understanding of what the art industry is like. I mean, that's like, that's a good amount of clients right there, but that's a lot of stress on you. And then having to figure out doing revisions or if you even offer revisions and if that says something about you and people complain about the tiniest thing and it's just all that stress amounts into, was this really worth doing this for $15, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think too that The higher amount, the better type of client you'll get, or is that not really a thing? I'm not sure. I did find that 
there are really nice people to work for for commissions, but not all the time. And like, it's it's kind of, do you know the person? Have you worked with artists before? Have they worked with artists before, rather? And if not, then you're going to get like a guy that doesn't really know what he's talking about or what how much he's asking for in terms of work. And I say this because with commissions, it's just kind of like a little bit of slice of what actual freelance work is like, too. Because <laughs> it's just you could get a client that is just like, I don't know how animation works. Can you change the size of this person's head in all of the project? And it's just like, that's like oh, days gosh, of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or can you change the shape of his head or something like that? You'll get things like that. And that's, you know, it's just working with other people is a lot of stress. It's a lot of stress to have to deal with somebody that doesn't really understand the industry. That's kind of why I love my producers half to death. Because they deal with that and I don't have to. They get to explain to the client that that's a lot of work <laughs> and I don't have to do that. That's great. That is great because I see that a lot, especially on freelance websites. Yes. I see a lot of ads for, I'm trying to get my comic book or whatever, whatever, whatever done. And I want to make a two minute animated short and I want it done in a month and I have $200. And I think, wow, no, <laughs> don't know how this works at all. Yeah. I think it's funny because those requests are just, yeah, I, I want somebody to do all these things for me too. But if you try to do it yourself, you realize that's a lot of work. Yeah, I wanted a unicorn when I was a yeah. child. I didn't get that. That's not how the, that's not how life works, man. Yeah, but then you made it. And then it's just like, <laughs> that's how it works. If you realize that nobody's going to acquiesce to that request. You're just going to be like, I guess I'll try to make it and realize, wow, I am an idiot for making that sort of request. Yeah, but then you know how to do it yourself. It's like, hey, I've just hired myself. Go me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So there you go. So let's talk about, I want to ask you about Japan, because you mentioned earlier, too, and just now that you got a chance to go to Japan and meet different directors. So was this, was this a vacation? Was this through work? What was it? So I made a friend through Titmouse. His name is Will Fang. He's awesome. He happens to also do production work for... Studio, uh, I think it's like Ultra something pictures. Ultra super pictures. I just got told off screen. <laughs> <laughs> and he works with, he worked with Trigger. And he has friends at uh, Studio Kara, which does the Evangelion movies. And he was really awesome and helped me get, <laughs> he helped me get some nerdy things at a convention because I couldn't go. And I was just hey, you're going to be there? Can, can can I give you money? And like, we became friends. And he was like, you think that's cool? You should see what Japan's like. And it was just, I don't know. It was one of these things where it's just, yeah, if you go to Japan, I'll go to Japan too. What? <laughs> so it just kind of amounted into this amazing trip of, we're going to be in Japan this time. Do you want to go? And I was like, I also want to be in Japan at that time. I will go. <laughs> and we went and I didn't expect anything. I did ask about, if you visit studios, can I go with you? And then I learned that in Japan, the studio culture is, is very different in that in order to visit a studio, you have to know and be invited by somebody. Uh, it's kind of like how, I guess, studios in the U.S. work. But with Timhouse, at least, I know that if you ask, can we host a tour here? We hold those. We don't mind doing that. And I oh, actually am one of those. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just like, because of course, we got some schools in that area. We got three, three or four really big art schools in New York. Of course, we're going to say, yes, come visit. 
sure. But in Japan, it's a little different. So Will, knowing people there, I had asked if I could visit the studios and he told me all about that culture where, you know, you got to know somebody. So we got there. We made this huge itinerary of two the half hour of what we were going to do when we had to leave and how do we had to get places going all over the place. And we got a call from Will to say, hey, do you want to meet up for after lunch or something to go see Studio Car? And I was just like, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. And then he got us in for the Christmas party for Trigger. And then he got us to go hang out with those guys. We, like I said before, <laughs> language barrier is pretty great when you're drunk. <laughs> and then just like hanging out with those guys. But I got to visit the studios and I got to see like a tiny, tiny tour of what it looks like there. And it was really neat. Good stuff. That's really neat that you got a chance to go and just experience a different culture and see what, what animation's like over there. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever have a trip like that ever again. It was really magical trip. <laughs> is their workflow and their studios, is it set up the same way as studios are set up here or is it completely different? It's very different. And I feel like I can try to explain it as best as possible, but I know I'm not exactly a professional in that field. Your key animators are your most amazing people. The way that they do, how do I explain? There's so many things that are about the Japanese animation industry that are really fascinating. If I were to say, if you want to learn the pure basics of the most optimistic pipeline in, a, in an animation in Japan, watch the show Shiro Bako, because that is a show about the animation pipeline in Japan. It's oh, wow. A, it's a very, very, very optimistic view of what it's like, which is to say it is completely harrowing. <laughs> but, <laughs> like that show was so like every time I suggest that show to people, they say that they have to stop after the third episode because it's too stressful to watch because it's too true. Oh, my God. It's too true. Oh. <laughs> it is very accurate to like. I cried a lot. I was just like, I remember when I went through that. Like, I know that feeling. But then also just feeling like that rush of just, I want to do my best. I want to like, say, you know, typical anime type thing. It is very informative, though, in if you want to have a basic understanding of how it works. So like, for instance, your art director is different than your animation director or your overall director. And then you have budgeting for certain types of animators so you have your regular animators who don't make a lot at all and then you have your sakuga animators who are your rock stars the ones that you're just like you remember that scene in this anime where there's a bunch of crazy things flying in perspective and where we have robots exploding in foreshortened perspective and things like that those are your sakuga animators and then it just <laughs> yeah <laughs> I get overwhelmed. Well, I, I will it. watch that anime. And I believe Margie was talking about that too. She yes. was saying that I ought to watch it. It is full of tears. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, see, yeah. I hear that and I, I want to watch it. But whenever whenever anyone says it will make you cry, it's like, oh, but I don't want to cry. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you this much is that it takes a certain type of certain type of story to make me cry. I usually... I'm the monster that didn't cry during Grave of the Fireflies. Wow. But... See, that, that's, that's 
that's not monstrous to me. That's amazing. You can teach like a seminar on how to get through. I have not seen it, but and the reason I haven't seen it was because everyone that I know who's seen it is like, so do you want to have an evening of tears? Yeah. Watch yeah. this movie. And I think, why, why no, I don't want to come home from work and be completely miserable until the right. next day. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, I feel like that it, it's a hard, sadder movies are kind of hard to sell. I had my own experience with that in trying to do my own short for another event that Tim Asshole was called Five Second Day. I'm getting beside the point. <laughs> I want to, we'll talk about that too, because I got to see part of it. But you were saying though about you're impervious to tears and pain, which I find very inspiring. <laughs> well, okay. So the thing that makes me cry the most is anything that has to deal with human triumph. And something like Shirabako, it's full of that. It's hard to say anything without giving anything away, but I'll just say that character has a goal character has a hard time achieving that goal character gets that goal and that's what makes me cry is that the character finally got it (laughs) but doing it through the most harrowing process ever and just realizing this is what it means to be to be this position in animation it's just like i relate to that a bit (laughs) it sounds like the unbroken of anime (laughs) yes (laughs) yes it's that but yeah, that's a really good example of just... So having seen that before going to Japan, it was just like, I know what you are, and I cannot pronounce the name of your title, which makes me terrible, but I know what oh. you do, and I know what you do, and I know that you're a big deal. And then also just... So Studio Trigger is full of celebrities <laughs> in terms of just... I am a big fan of Imaishi and Yo-Yo Shinari and Sushio. And I got to meet Imaishi, and I got to meet... Wakabayashi. He's really awesome. He does a lot of writing. And then I also got to meet Sushio, who's a character designer for Kill a Kill. And But then I didn't... <laughs> it was one of those things where I met Yo-Yo Shinari. Not really. But I met him for like about five seconds and I recognized him by the back of his head. And that was like a trend for the trip because I had a I don't know why I recognized him by the back of his head. There's not really explicitly pictures of the back of his head online or anything. But it was just, I know who it is. You know who that is. And then it turned around and it was just, yes, it was one of those things. Same thing happened as well when we went to go visit Studio Kara. And it was just the wonderful director of the CG department for Kara. He led us around and was trying to get us to see... Ano Hiriaki. And he was trying to get us to see him, but we he was like elusive and he's kind of hard to see. And actually, Will said that in all the time working with the Japanese studios, he has never met him. So that's how kind of elusive he is. He's been working there for a while. But as we were leaving, it was another instance where it's just, I recognized him by the back of his head. And I was just like, oh, Ano, it's Ano right there. And it's just like, I'm like whispering this. But then... He turned around and he greeted us. And I was like, I am, I can't talk. (laughs) I just had like one of those starstruck moments. It was just like, you are the reason why I enjoy anime in general. And I am just meeting you. And you are getting an introduction of me who is just this tiny speck of dirt in comparison to all the stuff you've done in your life. And then... He bowed to us and he acknowledged that I existed in that plane. (laughs) And then we went away. 
And as we were like on the train leaving, I started, my hands were shaking. I was like, I could not <laughs> deal with that. Anyway, his studio is great. <laughs> and seeing everybody working there, it was really inspiring. So he started this program. Anna started this program with trying to train young animators and doing this. It's like a budgeting thing to give to your studios to do a short that shows your studio's capabilities to their finest ability, right? And that's amazingly inspiring. But I got to see all that work being done, the, the, the sort of files that they were making. And that was really neat. That's really cool that you got to go over there and just see see how they work, you know? Because yeah. a lot of people yeah. don't get that opportunity, not just to really see any studios, you know, Japanese or otherwise. So that's really cool that you had a chance to go over there and meet, you know, meet your heroes and mm. see their production pipeline and see what they're doing and experience another culture. Yeah. One of the things that I'm really excited about seeing in the forefront of Japanese animation is that they are trying to utilize 3D in a way that they use the rules of 2D in 3D. So like, for instance, you think about an anime face and whenever you have a profile face, there's always that side mouth thing that they do where yeah. it's just like, so a lot of people don't really like that, but in anime, that's just everywhere and that's a certain aesthetic. So in doing that in 3D, obviously, if you were to do that in 3D, it's just the mouth is, from the profile view, it's going to be very different than what that looks like on a, on a 2D production. So what they do is they actually break the model all the time in order to maintain that. And thus they do that for foreshortened legs or they do that if they have to make the eyes bigger because they use like a fish eye on it or something like that. And the fascinating thing about that is I got to see how they do that. So you have the angle of the model that looks perfect for the shot. And then you turn that model and then it turns into Michael Jordan. <laughs> and it's just, this is amazing. This is this is how the industry works. I love these little things. And then they also like break the model to make jokes and stuff. So that was cool. That is really neat. I've heard similar things too. They had to do that for the Peanuts movie, you yeah. know, because you're working from a comic strip. And because Charles Schultz, he would draw the character sometimes with three fingers, sometimes with four, sometimes with five. And mm -hmm. to get the profiles, I remember going to a talk and they showed all the different ways they had to change the models just so it would look like a comic strip. And then they showed one of, here's what it looks like if we don't do that. And it just looks so strange. Oh, yeah, it just looks like crazy. A lot, of, a lot of time had to go into figuring out how to make this work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I feel like if you look at like a lot of early 3D, you'll see that still like in there. Uh, but then like as time goes on, it's just like, why is this not working? Oh, because that's not what it looks like when we draw it. So clearly we should try to like use these rules to make it look better. That totally makes sense. And I want to talk to you. I don't have a segue for this. So I'm just going to ask you, I really want to talk about your personal work because I saw on your site, I got to see part of Chasing Sunlight and oh. <laughs> I really like it. It's really great. And I just want to ask you more about, you know, how you came up with that idea and the whole Titmouse five second thing. Like, what is that and how that works? Okay. Let me take a deep breath. <laughs> so <laughs> basically, Titmouse is awesome in that they have a like a Titmouse holiday. It's called five second day. And what you do is that you get the entire day 
to animate whatever you want and it's paid for you get pizza you get sodas and drinks and whatever it's great it's great great day but um they send the email out to tell you like remember that five second day is coming up this day uh because it changes every year ever so slightly um and we got the email like a month in advance and it was one of those things where i had done one last year uh and it was just like this little short of like this girl meeting a guy and then the guy vomits horses and then like everything <laughs> turns into horses like everything turns into horses <clears throat> uh that was just a fun little thing but it was like uh, 30 seconds or so five second day gets its name because roughly for quota you have to achieve about five seconds worth of animation so like if they give you the day then clearly it should be about five day five seconds roughly <laughs> so i did that last year but then when my short went on the screen, oh, that's another thing, is that they show it on a big screen. It's now been upgraded from like doing it like in our projection, or our, I'm sorry, our projector to being in a theater. So that's kind of cool. Um, but I, my first five second day was that horse one. And I was like blown away by like some of these other shorts that kind of took, like most of the shorts because it's only in a, uh, done in a day's worth of work, is usually pretty vulgar. It's usually dick jokes, boob jokes, uh, fart jokes, poop jokes, things like that. Anything to get the point across in five seconds. And then um, I saw some people submitted these crazy sort of epic stories, longer than a minute type things, where it's just like it was really sensitive, sort of more on like the sad side of things. It was interesting to see that some of them were more successful than others, but the ones that got me, I was just like, you can do that. I didn't even think that I could do that for this project. And so then the year following when Five Second Day happened, I was really, really torn because the one, the sad ones that didn't really work over so well, people were kind of just like, oh, it's a little too sappy or it's a little, little too hard on the uh, certain notes. So I was really torn on whether or not to do something that was more in the vein of something more sad. And in order to do that, I have this project that I've been kicking around every once in a while called The Shallot Night. And that is a story of a little farm boy who is a shallot <laughs> and <laughs> he wants to become a knight. And that's just not something that shallots can do. Basic story pipeline of that so I was torn on doing something with that because that's so close to my heart that if I expose it and people don't like it then it's like I don't know if I can live with myself <laughs> I don't know if that's something I can bounce back from if people don't like it but then I think I it was just well you might as well give it a shot uh, my boyfriend told me he's just like you know he was really for the idea and he said that he would help and then the more I talked about it, the more people were pretty supportive of the idea of me doing something sad. So I did Chasing Sunlight, and it was one of those things, I didn't say anything about it. People were asking about, what are you doing for Five Second Day? And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, please don't. Please don't talk to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I, it was uh, 
put up on the server and some people watched it and they were like what the hell alex like like this is awesome like i got i saved a folder of screen caps from the compliments that i got of that film because people were messaging me a lot from the internal server so that was kind of nice and then it was shown for the first time ever in a theater in um la because that's what that's like i think that was the first year that they decided to put it on the big screen and when, you know, it's just like a bunch of like little fun little dick shorts and fun little cute things, random little animations. So everybody's having a good time. A lot of people are kind of tipsy at that point. And then my short gets on screen. It's about, I think it's like about two and a half minutes or something like that. And <laughs> I heard the reaction was everybody thought it was really cute. And then the sad thing happens and it's one of the uh, the way that the way that it works is like it's a slow, sad thing. And as it kept going, people started saying no <laughs> and started <laughs> screaming at the screen. It's like no, no, no! Like uh, people got like crazy about it. I wish I was there, but I wasn't there. This is all just from what I heard from friends. They were just like, "You really moved the audience. You made people go crazy over it, or something like that." And then when the characters come back on screen. One guy says, I think, uh, I think it was Parker or something, but he said, it's not the same. <laughs> you can't try and tell me that it's the same now. So awesome. But yeah, that's sort of like, that was an experiment in trying to see if I could tell something serious in a short amount of time, because I had never done that before. And I was happy that people received it well. So kind of made me happy in this idea that like I would like to tell a story that's a little bit more on the serious end of things. That is awesome and I'm really glad that you went for it. I'm really glad that you decided you know what this is really really personal but I'm gonna go ahead and put it out there anyway. <laughs> I don't know if you've kind of received that from me so far <laughs> as like this is this is just kind of how it works for me is that I I, I feel like if I have hesitations in doing it, that means that there might be something worth in the adventure of doing it, I guess. So give it a shot. Why and not? Who cares? You only live once. Whatever. I know that feeling exactly. That's yeah. actually, that's become my life motto. I yeah. actually heard something similar to that. I watched a talk with Brad Bird and people were asking him, you know, how do you know what story you should tell? And his response was, if it scares you, that's the thing you should be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I thought, oh, that's so great. And so I started, okay. I was like, what scares me? You know, I'm like, yeah. okay, those are the projects I need to work on then. Because those are the ones that have the most visceral reaction. Exactly. Yes, that is, that is true. If you're shaken by something that you wrote or makes you feel very uncomfortable, then there's something there. There's something there that you can work with. That's a good clay to start with. Absolutely. So do you have plans then to do more with The Shallot Night or to do more five second day animations or making more of your own shorts in general? That's kind of the thing with doing The Shallot, uh, I'm sorry, doing Chasing Sunlight. It was one of those things where it's like, so that's another example of an animation that's done very linearly, very flat. And it got me to be like, I'm interested in doing the cinematic stuff, that's kind of what pushed me into storyboard. So like right now, it's this training process of trying to be able to tell something in a cinematic fashion. And right now, it's a lot of 
it's a lot of learning. <laughs> so going back to like when you said, what's the learning curve when you start your job? And it's just like, I'm living that right now. So in terms of what I'm learning here now with this storyboarding job is something that I'm hoping to use to illustrate something with the shell at night in a longer format and see if people pick up with that. <laughs> Very good. So let's get into storyboarding now. So you were an animator, you're doing a lot of animation, but you've also done storyboarding before and you've taken storyboard tests before. So what made you decide, you know what, I'm going to take the jump and go ahead and apply for the storyboard position and take story classes and really focus on that? I think it was really chasing sunlight. It was just this thought that, okay, so I did that short, but it was very linear. And like, I feel like a part of it works specific to that short, but I can't tell an entire story like that. Well, I mean, I guess you could, but I don't have, I don't have like the propensity to do something like that. It doesn't feel like something that would work well for a story like that. That said, <laughs> I really fell in love with a lot of movies that came out in the, uh, in the past couple of years, mostly from Momoru Hosada. He did Wolf Children and he did Summer Wars. He did Girl Who Left Her Time. I love all those movies. And the way he tells a story, it's not always super hyperdynamic, but it has choice points when it is. And like, I only just, I know that this is like in everything, but it just it was one of those things where I noticed it then. It was the first time I actually took notice of it. And then I was like, I want to do that with Shallot. If I could do something like that with Shallot, then that would be a good way to showcase that sort of story. So it got me interested. Not to say that I didn't get into it. It took some time, some traction to be like, well, I guess I could, I guess I could be a storyboard artist. I always had it in my head that storyboard artists are the people that you never go home <laughs> and you're working <laughs> all the time. You are kind of like crafting this amazing thing out of thin air. And I didn't really have that. I had more of the micro side of it where it's just like, I like showing how a character looks in this instance. I know how, when to put a blink or whatever, you know, things like that, little micro things. So the macro thing kind of scared me trying to do like a bigger scale of like pulling this out of your head. So when Nico came about, it was, you look at that, you look at that boy. That boy has a big head and a little body. And that's what I draw all the time. <laughs> so I was like, well, it's a little boy and he's going on an adventure. I feel like I know a thing or two about little boys going on adventures. <laughs> so it kind of kicked me into thinking like, well, maybe I can try this out. And then I had coworkers who were like, yeah, give it a shot. Why not? You know, just try it out. And that's how I kind of pushed myself into going to storyboards. I did not think for a second when I did the test that I was going to get it. I was like, oh God, oh, look at all these working mistakes. Somebody's going to look at this and they're going to laugh. And then it was just like, I got the call and I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It was just, it really worked out for me in terms of just trying to figure out how to get into that. <laughs> I don't know what pushed me really into it, but like all those things in combination with time slowly pushed me into it. Excellent. So now you're doing wards. Now you're getting to 
use all those storyboarding chops and cinematic chops that you learned in your class and from working on your shorts. That's yeah, really cool. That was a hard class, I gotta say. <laughs> Steve Vaughn was really awesome in that like he showed me he showed, you know, the whole class how to do these basics and I was just I took it so freaking seriously where I was just like, I I don't understand. How do you know when to when to do like a fisheye versus doing like a macro? I don't understand when you figure out when to do these things and then you know he kind of broke it down in dumb baby steps and I was like oh I finally get it and then I went to go do the assignments and I was like I don't understand anything again <laughs> it's just I don't know it really kind of put into everything into perspective what you need to know in order to tell something cinematically and I was like this is why I look up to all those storyboard artists because they have all this and they work with all these tools and yet they have their own voice with it because not every storyboard artist does the same thing or is capable of doing the same thing that is so true. So in terms of finding your voice, do you think that, do you feel like you're on that path now where it's like, hey, I know, I know the kind of stories I want to tell. I'm just learning how to best tell them effectively. I am two steps in that path. Yeah. <laughs> it's fresh. It's still very fresh. We'll have to talk again when you've had a, some more time here and be like, so <laughs> what, what step are you on now, Alex? How's yeah. it going? <laughs> Let me check my like, I am now on step 10. Yeah. <laughs> but then I discovered, guess what? There's even more steps. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is nice having, being close with like all the artists in the storyboards and stuff, having them talk about like, it is hard and like having them say like the same things, the same sort of doubts that I'm going through right now and being like, they, they go through that stills. It's a growing process. And every single time you start a new project is a different set of challenges. So it's actually not too far from, being an animator in that the sort of doubts that you have about your ability and then the sorts of like what you're striving for, it's, it's similar. It's very similar. The only reason why I feel like I have a hard time adjusting to it is just, <laughs> I'm just like, this is a new animal that I'm playing with. And it was just like, I can't, I can't like wrap my brain around it yet. But having people who have been in that industry for a long time saying that you kind of never get rid of that feeling. It's always new. It's always something new to learn. It's just like, but you're, you're so good. What are you talking about? <laughs> what, more do you, what more do you have to learn? Don't you already know everything? It's like, no. He's yeah, like, no, I'm still going through that, dude. I was just like, okay, I guess then I should just get used to this feeling. <laughs> and that actually brings me up to the next thing I want to ask here is, I guess, what advice would you give yourself? If you could go back in time and talk to pre-college Alex or post-college Alex, you know, being able to see all that you've experienced so far, what advice would you give yourself that you feel like would also help other people? It's a heavy question. <laughs> um, we go into the deep, deep issues here. <laughs> I feel like specific to me, there was a lot of people, well, not a lot. I wouldn't say a lot. There was a good few amount of people that were close to me that were saying that I was making an incredibly bad decision. And having been able to advance my career to this point, it's like, why would I ever let them get to me? They don't care. Clearly, they don't care. If they think that they're working against me in terms of just trying to achieve this goal, then it's just, I don't know. I just would say, if you feel like you have to know that you feel really strongly against it, if people are working actively against you in terms of finding this dream of yours. And it's just like, 
you know, don't listen to them. They don't care about you. You're the only person that can make it or break it for yourself. You have to push yourself in order to prove it to the people against you that you, you're capable of achieving your goals. So it's interesting because that evolves then. People that are actual human people that are against you in terms of finding your goal versus what it evolves to is you sort of taking that weight with you and saying, maybe they were right. It's just like, maybe at this point, if I'm doubting myself right now on doing storyboards or anything like that, maybe they were right in saying that I was incapable of following my dreams. And it's just like, you can just tell that that voice to shut up. <laughs> just keep doing it. Just keep doing your job. Just keep pushing yourself and making sure that you grow every day. Make sure that you like try to better yourself every day in terms of what you're doing. Don't let it get to you. It's just, that's, that's probably the thing I would go back and tell myself. That is excellent advice. Cause I think everyone's had that from somebody, you yeah. know, everyone's had to deal with someone, either parents or friends or even people in school telling him, what are you doing? You suck. You will not get to where you need to go. And that's, so it's good to hear that you are going to come up against opposition and just to push it out of the way. Yeah. It's another thing too, where it's just, I had the experience where like one parent was very supportive and one parent was absolutely not and then when I had uh actually I should say the one parent that was supportive was supportive in that uh was trying to get me to get into the school financially speaking was supportive in that way but it was just like I don't know this is kind of a bad idea if you're gonna do this and like I having the career that I've had for what it's been like I don't know I think it's been like eight years, it hit that this is something viable. This is something that I can survive off of. And they're very proud of me now. So that's good. <laughs> but something like that, like I was saying, is just like that voice that says you can't do it kind of sticks with you and you can't let it stay on you. You have to kind of brush it off and say like, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Clearly, look at me. <laughs> and then when you're starting out, it's hard. It's just, it's hard because there's not a lot for you to grasp on and say, this is is completely justifiable. You have to build those foundations to say you are validated in your work and then use that as fuel to say, like, to put those voices away. Well, Alex, that is great. And we're going to, nothing better can be said after that. I mean, that is, that is fantastic. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Very cool. So where can people find your work online? I'm bad at the internet. <laughs> I have a Twitter and I have, I have like a bunch of social media stuff, but I'd say like maybe, maybe like my Twitter, I guess. I, I go on everything, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram as Chunks the Mighty. So that is how you can find me on every sort of social media. All right. And I'll put that in the show notes because people need to see your stuff because you have a really awesome short. Oh, thank you have you. a great reel. You do a lot of really awesome illustrations. So people need to see what you've been up to. Well, thank you very much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for asking all the hard questions. <laughs> and that concludes my interview with Alex Kwan. Special thanks to Alex for being such a wonderful guest. And make sure to check out all of her links as well as her animated short, Chasing Sunlight, in the show notes. 
And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to leave a review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has reviewed the show so far. And if you would like to donate to the show, you can visit the Animated Journey website at www.theanimatedjourney.com. And you can click on the PayPal donate button on the right hand side. Every little bit helps me to keep the show up and running. And thank you so much to everyone who has generously donated to the show. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. You guys are awesome. And make sure to support our wonderful sponsors, Amazon.com, Audible.com, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Every time you click on those banner ads and make your regularly scheduled purchases, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And I really appreciate everyone who has supported our sponsors. And also, I've been reading a really good book and working through it, which I highly recommend. You can get it on Amazon. It is called Cartoon Animation by Preston Blair. Many of you out there are, I'm sure, familiar with this book. But for those of you who are not, or for those of you who have not gone through it in a while, I highly recommend picking up a copy of this book from Amazon and actually working through it, not just glancing through it or reading through it. I've actually been working through it. Uh, One of my future guests who will be on the show in a couple of weeks recommended that I draw every single character on 18 by 24 newsprint using a China marker. And he said that this would help me to improve my character design skills and my anatomy for animation skills. And I tell you what, he is correct because it's made a really big difference. I've been actually working through this book for a month and a half now. I'm on page 95. I've used three newsprint 18 by 24 tablets front and back. I've used a lot of China markers, but it's great. It's really good practice. It's a really good way to warm up. So I highly recommend this exercise to everyone out there. It's a lot of fun. It'll help you improve your skills. And like I said, check out the book on Amazon. It's a really good book. It's a lot of fun. It'll help you with your animation skills. It'll help you with your design skills. It'll just help you out. And if you want to check out what else is going on with the show, make sure to become a fan on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. You can follow the show on Twitter at AnimJourney. On Instagram, it's at AnimJourney. And I promise to update the Instagram soon. I know I've been a little bit slower on that one. It's getting there, you guys. And also, you can check out the Tumblr page, www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And if you want to check out what I've been up to, you can visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. On Instagram, it's at sketchy underscore soul. And on Tumblr, it's www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. So thank you to everyone for listening. Make sure to tune in next week. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.